How long have I got? 30 seconds. Okay, there's an amazing offer for Sky Q I have to tell you about. Imagine having all of Sky TV, new originals and box sets together with all of Netflix. Plus you get Spotify, YouTube and Catch Up TV like RTE Player. Sky Q has everything you love in one place. It just makes life easy. Oh, and it's less than you think. Search Sky 30 to find out more. New Sky TV customers only. Set up fees, minimum term and further terms apply. Hi, I'm Chloe Maidley, author of The Four Week Body Blitz and now The Fat Loss Blitz. And welcome to my new podcast, The Vodcast. So over the next few weeks, I'm going to be talking to all of my favorite celebrities and health and fitness professionals about everything you can think of in terms of diet, nutrition, training, fat loss, muscle building. I'm going to be asking them all the questions that I think you guys will benefit from hearing the answers to. So without further ado, here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Now, today is a bit of a weird one, but we kind of thought it was such a great novelty that we had to do it. We have somebody on the show today who's going to be interviewing me, asking me all the questions that I've been asking uh, my guests thus far. And who better to do that than the broadcasting legend himself, Mr. Richard Maidley? Did, did you just call it the podcast? The podcast. The podcast. Yeah. So... on the word podcast. Podcast. I see. So if we were talking about, I don't know, fish, we'd call it the Codcast. Oh my God, so yeah. good. Uh, if you were talking about old men like me, it would be the Doddcast. Half the joke worked there. I learned, no, I liked it. And mm. I, I think that just goes to show everybody why I am how I am. I am literally <laughs> my father's daughter. Um, what was I going to say to you? I learned a new word yesterday. Well, good, because your vocabulary is embarrassingly narrow. What I know. was it? I think I'm was articulate, it because? but. <laughs> From? It was, are you ready? Yes. Wizened. Wizened? You must in, have heard wizened before. Well, in my head, it, it's, a, it's a word you would describe for a wizard. Like you, it's a word no, wizened means wrinkled. Yeah, it means like old and wizened. Yes. So I was using it. Sorry, instead. that's my phone, but it doesn't matter. Does you it? might want to put that on silent or my sound guy's going to have a word with me in my ears. God, you would have thought all the years of experience. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not a professional at all. Um, my <laughs> phone is always. True. It went off on Good Morning Britain the other day. Did it? And I didn't admit it was me. Oh, it was me. Was, was no, it, oh, was your you phone did go off recently and it was me because then my Twitter blew up and like nobody tweets me because I avoid it like the plague because <laughs> Twitter is a hotbed for trolls. Okay, listen, I'm just turning it off now. There we go, power off. Um, but I always no, no, know it went, it went off on Golden Britain and everybody looked at me and I looked at them and said, no, not me. Oh, yeah, lie. I think, Susanna, it was you. I think you've forgotten your phone. Yeah. Lie your way out of it. Have you been talking to Absolutely. James? Absolutely. <laughs> yes, if in doubt, lie. <laughs> and he thinks I don't know and I'm like, I've been with you four years. I know when you're lying. <laughs> um, okay, so yes. I think the, the crux of this is that oh sorry can i just go back to wizened yeah in what in what context did you learn that word did you read it or did someone use it and did you say are I you talking using, about wizards or i was happened? using i was using other words like wizened to describe um a, a rugby uh broadcaster that i don't like okay and james said i think the word you're looking for is wizened and i said mm. what well, like 
I in my head I just think of Harry Potter sort of immediately. Wizard, yes. Yeah, and he was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and made me look it up. No, and then you know now when you Google words, you can push the little volume button and, and some random person will say it to you, so you know yeah. how to pronounce it. But it's, it's I wish Susie Dent was here from, Count, from Dictionary Corner in Countland because she would know the root of wizard. Because you're right, it does it does have an it does have an echo of wizard to it clearly. Obviously, like wrinkly old man. Yeah, wizard, wizened. Anyway. Anyway, hmm. so uh, the crux of why you're here is we figured. Obviously, I've been speaking. to to lots of my uh, health and fitness idols and gurus about nutrition and training and advice. Um, And my publishers thought it would be appropriate to have somebody ask me questions for my audience benefit. So here you are. Well, okay. I mean, the thing is, everybody thinks that in, in family life, everybody knows everything and that you remember why things happened and, you know the paths have led everybody to where they are today. And that's just not true. I mean, speaking as a father of four, I can tell you that, that, for example, I read the other day that most people don't remember their children taking their first steps because it's not actually an important memory. It's a sentimental memory. But you remember much, much more clearly, for example, the day you took your kid to A&E because that's important. So I can't remember how you got here. I can't remember... (laughs) No, I can't remember how you turned from a kind of a Dorito-eating, pizza-ordering, you know, layabout. Um, into, Dorito? Well, what do you mean, do you mean Dorito? <laughs> well, you know what I mean. I mean, an unhealthy eating ordinary teenager mm, mm. Um, into this iconic super fit woman. What was what happened? Iconic. What was the light bulb moment when okay. you thought, ah, ah, okay, I didn't much enjoy university. Um, school was fun, but mm, ac- academia is not for me. I'll do this. What happened to you? Uh, so it was my ex-boyfriend, Danny. <laughs> sorry, James. Yeah, sorry. No, whatever. He's sewed enough wild oats I can have an ex. Um, it was my ex-boyfriend, Danny, who took me to... Uh, he was a personal trainer and he was a uh, bodybuilder. And he told me... I had a small following uh, on social media at the time because of Dancing on Ice hmm. and other various TV shows that I'd been doing. This was back when I thought I wanted to work in TV which I have dramatically changed my mind on now. Um, and I, he said, look, I need more female clients. Can you come to the gym with me? Can I change your body? Can you document it on your social media and get me more female clients? Um, right. And I said, yeah, I, I was on a three-week break. I think it was between that uh, there was a break in the Alan Titchmar show. And how old were you then? Six and a half years ago. So I was... 25. 24, 25, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I... Uh, and I I said, okay, begrudgingly said, okay, because as you very um, accurately pointed out, I was not sporty. I wasn't, I would go for a run to help with my anxiety, but like I wasn't sporty. I didn't, I didn't care to go. You were physical. You were were always quite bouncy. I mean, you know, you were always active. Climbing trees and surfing. Yeah, yeah. And you didn't, you didn't, you didn't, as as your mother did when she was your age, you didn't quote, walk in an insolent manner, (laughs) which she was once accused of by her headmistress. Nobody ever worked out what that meant. But I, I kind of know what they meant. I Um, feel like mum, it does walk in an insolent manner. You never ambled. No, no, no. I, I, yeah, I, I am really physical, but I'm not a team player and mm. I'm not a sports. All right. Person. Anyway, so here you are, 25. You do the three weeks in the gym. What's what I'm okay. The, it was immediate. It was immediate. You knew straight away. Straight did away. You? He put he well because he, he taught me how to Olympic lift, which is a form of training I'd never done before. Why would I? I mean, uh, you know, I come from a, a generation where it's like women don't lift weights. I think, and I think I'm probably that last generation before this one now where mm. women do habitually. Um, so he put an Olympic bar on my back and he taught me how to do an Olympic lift, and it was immediate. I was like, this is it. This why do you th- okay? Why do you think that was? I mean, a lot of a lot of women, a lot of men would would have that experience and give it a, give it their best shot, and then think, 
it's not really for me, and mm. drift away. Why was it? Why did you realise you'd come home and that you'd found this thing that was going to drive you for the foreseeable future? I think it was a, like a, a melting pot of two or three things. I think, first of all, I, I do suffer from anxiety. I've always suffered from anxiety. Mm. And there is something about uh, having to be that focused and that in the moment. Because weightlifting can be dangerous. If you don't know what you're doing, you know, you've got a heavy weight on your back. You have to pay attention. You have to be in the moment. So there's something about it which made me present and it made me very much rooted in the moment, which, of course, is the holy grail of curing anxiety that we all chase after. It's mm. why CBT exists, for example. Mm and breathing techniques exist. So it brought me to that place where I was present. And then I think I really liked the feeling of doing something difficult, accomplishing it, and it being quite a quick turnaround experience. Like, oh, I did it. Oh, and then it made me want to do it again. And then and then it was so weird. It was like a snowball effect. The more I did it and the more that I seriously took it, the more discipline, discipline my life became, the more structure it had, the more mm -hmm. present I became, and all the things that I'd been struggling with mentally started to change and then add to that my body started to change mm -hmm. and I just was like this is this is amazing this did is anyone in those early days when you were so and I remember you being so committed to it did anyone any of your friends ever say to you I think you've become addicted yeah you're addicted to exercise yeah, and you're I addicted still to the endorphins and all that yeah I still get it when I get the um when I do press for the books journalists are like do you think you're addicted mm. to exercise? And I'm like, just because, like, it really drives me absolutely mad. No, I think it's a really healthy, necessary part of inhabiting your body is to move. We are not meant to be sedentary. We're not, it, it doesn't mean you have to be, you know, exercising, quote unquote, every day mm. in the gym or going for a run. No. But you do and you should be active every day in whatever form that takes, whether it's cleaning your house, going for a food shop, um, you know, whatever it is, walking around, going for a walk, we are built to move, to be active. Mm. Um, and so, uh, no, I've never felt addicted to it. I've always felt like it was a really positive part of my life. The okay. only time I train and I don't want to be training is in the weeks before a photo shoot when I'm tired and I'm depleted. And I got a push, but I quite like that. And that's and that's business, isn't it? That's because yeah. you have to look at your super best. There's mm. there's no point in doing a photo shoot. There's no point in 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 spending a day in the in the in the, in the photographic studio um, if you're not absolutely looking the very best you possibly could. 100%. There's no point. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it would be like anybody, like you know, if you're a lawyer or a doctor or whatever, and you have quite like a monotonous like task or case or whatever mm. it is. You do get to points after a few weeks or months where you'd be like, oh, God, I am dreading this again. Mm. Hello, look at Brexit. I am mm. so bored of this. <laughs> like, enough is enough. Um, I can't imagine how they all feel. Um, but, yeah, it's the same thing. It's work. Sometimes you just right. got to pull your socks up and work. Now, you, you mentioned your kind of flirtation with broadcasting and how you sort of backed away from that. But actually, a lot of what you do sort of is broadcasting, but not in the conventional <laughs> field. Well, it is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, I mean, you're completely on, right. Online, your website, um, all the PR that you do. I mean, you are actually still very kind of microphone friendly and all the rest of it. Mm. And a very famous broadcaster who you'll never have heard of because he died long before you were even sentient, a guy called Clive James, Australian. He was a, he was a TV critic, a writer, a novelist, um, a big brain, actually, and very, very gifted, particularly in live broadcasting. He said something which which certainly informed my attempts at, at broadcasting. He said, in live radio, live television, and actually this applies to anything in broadcasting, it's not what you say, it's how you come over. And I often think that about you because, you know, to be honest, fitness gurus, nutrition gurus, 
whether they're in print form or online, are two a penny. They're I mean, you know, they're, they're, you know, we're drowning in them. <laughs> and yet you have definitely, no question, you have reached a kind of ascendancy. And that's because people like and trust you. What do you do that people who are not as successful as you don't do? In other words, is it in your tone? Is it in the way that you put your message across? I think, well, it depends on what context you're talking about success. So obviously I only Well, have... you're following and, well, and, your yeah. books, and your book sales. I mean, well, you know, you write bestsellers. So, for example, I own, I have less than 200,000 followers on Instagram, which is amazing considering where I started. And I'm so proud of that number. But, you know, there are other girls on Instagram who are my quote-unquote competition who have 2 million mm. uh, followers on Instagram. Um, the, the difference is, and what makes me feel really positive about what I do, is that my books sell really well. They get everybody who buys them amazing results. And as you put it, my following trusts me. Um, and that is everything. And why do you think that is? Because I'm honest, because I refuse to lie. Um, and I refuse to pretend that there is some magic pill or magic workout or magic technique that will get you in shape. It's science. It's a scientific equation. It's calories in, food versus calories out, uh, movement, um, energy expenditure. You, you know, how you... How you orchestrate that, obviously I have my suggested ways, like, you know, the types of cardio I want my following doing, the types of resistance training I want my following doing, the types of diet I want my followers following. Um, but essentially, it does all come down to that very simple equation. Okay. And I'm, I'm very honest about it, whereas I think there are so many girls out there who are either misinformed and don't know what they're talking about, or know for a fact that they are selling a dream which isn't accurate to make money. And I think... Well, when it started, it was very convincing. But I think people are starting to clock on. Oh, you're not qualified. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what the macronutrient split is that's appropriate for a weightlifter versus a marathon runner. Um, and if and if people can see that and clock onto it, um, I think it, it, it works in my favor because it, it means that I can prove that I know what I'm doing. But you're only as good as your research, aren't you? I yeah. mean, you know, what you know is is the accumulation of stuff that you've studied. And so where do you where do you go to upgrade, update and polish the the information you then pass on to your followers and your readers? You know, how how do you judge that you're getting the right information from the right kinds of sources? That's such a good question. And nobody's ever asked me that. And it's such an important question. Um, I have uh, nutritionists and professionals. One does one's best. <laughs> <laughs> Who on. would have guessed that you'd done this before? <laughs> um, I have nutritionists and coaches um, and people who I uh, follow and doggedly uh, hound for answers to questions. I have my own body. I have my own clients, my own guinea pigs, including myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I, ha I read a lot of books and I'm signed up to a lot of webinars, which is basically seminars, but webinars. Um, a lot of my heroes and idols, um, they're PhDs, they're coaches, they're bodybuilders, and they're actually on the other side of the pond. So in order for me to be able to be interactive with them, I have to subscribe to a lot of their uh, mm -hmm. kind of newsletters, webinars, uh, lives that they do. And I pay money for that. Mm -hmm. um, I then trial everything on myself. I trial everything on my clients. I have six and a half years of experience. And right. if you count my online clients as well as my face-to-face, -face, I've had tens of thousands. Um, so experience counts for a lot. But yeah, it is a science. It's constantly changing. It's constantly updating. And if you are not staying on top of it, and if you can't hold your hands up at the end of the day and say, actually, I changed my mind. What I said last year, I don't agree with anymore. You are not a good professional in the world of health and fitness. Right. Fact. Have you ever sent somebody... Uh, a program or a piece of advice or whatever 
Um, and, you know, we all make mistakes in every single profession, the legal profession, your profession, my profession. I've made lots of mistakes. It's impossible not to. Mm. Uh, have you ever sent somebody a piece of advice and then like seconds, uh, minutes, hours, days or weeks later thought, ah, whoa, no, wrong? Yeah, all the time. And how do you deal with that? What happens? Uh, well, okay, so there's this thing called imposter syndrome. Do you know what oh, it is? I know is? what imposter syndrome You don't think you're good enough. Yeah, and yeah. I, like, you're always going to get found out. You yeah. were the first person that talk, told me about imposter syndrome, but we, I don't think we put a name to it. Um, and I said to you, do you, do you ever feel like it's weird, it's sort of existential, like it's only a matter of time before you get found out. Get rumbled, Even if yeah. you can't put a label on it, you know, find, found out about what? Like what are you mm. talking about? But it's a very human psychological emotion and we all get it, right? And mm. you said, yeah, I mean, all the time I feel like I'm faking it and how long until people are going to realise it in every single context of your life. And I was, um, I, I'd released The Four Week Body Blitz, my first book, and I was just, it'd been out for a few months and I was slowly, slowly coming to the scientific and professional realisation that actually I didn't want my followers doing hit four, five, six days a week, which is what the cardio is in the four-week body blitz. It's not to say it doesn't work, guys. It works, but it's not optimal for your recovery. Um, and I was just thinking, oh, fuck. I wish I'd put in some, like, steady-state cardio, some recovery cardio. Like, that's really bad. That's really hard on the body. And I and I was remembering past preps that I've done where I've done hit four, five, six days a week, and it was incredibly hard. I mean, really hard on me to the point where I don't have to deal with that kind of difficulty with my body anymore because I don't do it anymore. And I was thinking, oh, God, it's too late. What am I going to do about this? And I was freaking out. And I, and I was talking to James about this in, in, our, in our interview. It was keeping me awake at night. And then I listened to uh, a guy called Paul Ravella, who I can't recommend enough. He's an incredible natural bodybuilding coach. And he was saying um, how they used to do HIT every day and tell all their clients to do HIT every day and how they've realized that it's really not the best advice ever. And that it gave him this like wave of imposter syndrome, which lasted for months and months and months. And he was like constantly wow. fighting it. And then he said he realized, hang on, we work in health and fitness. It is an ever-evolving science. It's always changing. We're always learning. And if you can't put your hands up and say, I would change that. I was wrong. Mm. You are never going to get better at your job. And mm. of course, ultimately, the goal is to be the best at your job. Mm. Um, so I think part of that is admitting you were wrong. Yeah. Why do you think that globally we're in this extraordinary, uh, never before experienced um, syndrome of, of, of what you do? Health and, fit, health and fitness and nutrition has become massive. I look back at my childhood, my early sort of adult years, and yeah, it was out there. There was all. There's always been a health and fitness industry. There was a guy called Charles Atlas who promised to, to, to give you sort of super guns and you know abs and all the rest of it. Except <laughs> they didn't guns. use those expressions. Um, but it was a very limited, very staid, um, very simplistic uh, industry. And now it's become super high tech, and as I say, fully globalized. What's happened? I mean, you know, the thing is, markets can't be led. Markets actually. Um, build themselves and then people like you come along and serve them. So what's happened? Why have we become, I'm mean, obsessed is, is a pejorative word and I don't mean to be pejorative, but why have we become so almost fixated on the way we look, what we eat, uh, our fitness levels? What's happened? I think there are two different answers to this and they're completely different, but they all uh, have the same outcome, which is what, what you're asking about. I didn't think of it that way, of risking your life going to work. But seeing my colleagues pass away in our own ICU, it's just heartbreaking. 
please stick with us for a while and just make our lives a little bit easier and then we can all be together again. Behind every case, there's a story. Protect yourself and each other. Be antiviral. Hear more at antiviralireland.com. Supported by the Government of Ireland. I think in terms of the aesthetic, like results-based community, which is obviously my community, um, I think social media happened. And I think we went Mm. from having one type of pinup, which, you know, in the, you know... 30s, 40s, 50s was the curvy Marilyn Monroe type, mm-hmm. which then kind of moved on to the waif, uh, kind of Kate Moss heroin chic type. Um, what was it? What was it? What was her mantra, which she now regrets saying? But it was it was very telling. Uh, Nothing tastes as good as skinny, skinny feels. feels. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think we always just had this one body image, kind of changed a little bit with the Kardashians, but again, I I feel like. Yeah, it, it, we always had one. Like women, generationally, had one pinup to aspire to. The beauty and the curse of social media is that for female body image and female ideas of beauty, the roof was blown wide open. Like there were no doors on the thing anymore. It was you want to be curvy like a Kardashian. Here is a absolutely gorgeous, you know, Rihanna, Kim Kardashian type girl posing in her underwear. You own those calves. Like you, you look sultry. Don't like they look like sex on Instagram. These curvy girls are incredible. And then it was like you want to be muscly you want to flex here's a girl in the gym wearing some bright neon leggings and a matching top doing some crazy stuff with an olympic bar that you've never seen a woman do before Mm. and isn't it for me i'm like that's sexy that's cool i like her she's strong (laughs) she's accomplished she's capable i like that um and then you had you know Again, these kind of like beautiful, natural girls who did their makeup incredibly well, who drank health teas and made fruit smoothies. And basically, every kind of idea of beauty was made available to women, which which has been hugely helpful, I think, in terms of our spectrum of, of female body image. But But then, you know, unfortunately, it's all behind a beautifully embroidered veil curtain or filters, uh, which makes it completely unattainable, no matter which camp you decide that you're in, Mm. completely uh, unachievable. And unfortunately, men seem to believe that it's real. So (laughs) it's kind of gone (laughs) to a really negative place. Um, But, you know, I think that's how it started in the aesthetic community. And then I think in the longevity community, which is much more science-based as in your internal health and your longevity of life, um people started to be able to prove that things like uh, nutrition, uh, good, good nutrition and um, physical fitness and strength uh, directly correlated with being able to stave off disease, live a longer life um, and actually in a lot of cases cure diseases which people are very funny about talking about but it's been proven it happens it's a thing um and i think this big melting pot of um fact and image came together and the movement was catapulted and what's interesting is it's not the province of the young is it i mean i read a very interesting piece a couple of days ago i emailed you about it um which said that uh men and women in their mid 60s onwards uh, become frail because they simply don't use their their, oh, their, their bodies in yeah. the way they should and that it is now be- be- becoming and will be very soon de rigueur for GPs to prescribe weightlifting oh, yeah. and that weightlifting um, in older people and I'm moving into that bracket myself is absolutely fantastic in not only preventing you from becoming frail but as you say 
and we have to be careful here because there are no such things as miracle cures and exercise can't cure all diseases. But but you're right about no, the... but so, some nutrition can cure some diseases, mm. like diabetes, for example. Yes, that's that's yeah. true. Um, but that's actually moving into the mainstream for the elderly. So actually, mm. we're no we're no longer just talking about you know the body beautiful on the beach, or you know, <laughs> well actually, Noel Evans is sixty nine now. But I mean, you know, huge publicity about his great guns, you know, um, <laughs> in in the jungle, which he could only have got by doing weights. He yeah, of course. Yeah, weights. yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, well, genetics play a role, but if you have if you've got prominent muscle. Hmm. You train. You've it. done. You, you're training. A hundred percent. No, I think. Um, I think it. The long. You know, and I have actually said in various podcasts I've done on the on the podcast so far. One of the best things that has happened to my understanding of nutrition, exercise, uh, physiology, uh, physiology, epigenetics, which is the body's ability, and it is capable of doing this, of turning on and off certain genes mm-hmm. for both good and bad purposes. Um, and you are in control of how it does that through nutrition, supplementation, training, uh, thermogenesis, loads of different techniques. Um one of the best things I ever did for my knowledge and for my audience was to switch over all my research to the longevity community for a big chunk of last year. Um, and I just read and listened and read and listened and watched and try- and learned so much. Um, and I do think that we are all headed that way. Uh, unfortunately, you know, because it is such a huge booming industry right now, there are so many people trying to make a quick buck mm. and there's so much shit out there mm-hmm. that it, um, as a professional and someone who I've, I feel I do lie awake at night trying to make sure that I do everything responsibly and honestly. Do you ever call, do you ever call other people out when you know that they're, they're giving specious advice and Purely, purely, as you say, to make a fast buck. Do you ever call them out online? I want to, but I don't. Never? I don't want to be that girl that starts some stupid war that then the tabloids make into a stupid story. Hmm. I've said to friends behind closed doors, that's inaccurate, and Hmm. you shouldn't have said that. Um, You're not qualified, and you shouldn't say that. Um, They don't like it, but Hmm. they know I'm right. Hmm. Um, And then I watch other people, and I think, but yeah, that I do have I do have internal wars and conversations with my quote unquote competition frequently mm. <laughs> in the shower. I'm like yelling at the glass, and I'm thinking, <laughs> God, I wish I could say this to them, but I don't. One of the things that Stephen, the late Stephen Hawking, uh, said in his last book, which was published posthumously um, just only a few weeks ago, was that he uh, he no longer believes in the possibility of a god, and he no longer he just thinks it's nonsense, and he no longer believes um, or believed in an afterlife, other than other than the fact that we live on in our genes that we pass on. Um, and interestingly, kind of existentially, that we live on in the influence that we've had and continue to have after we've died. And what struck me about what you do, and I get this when I'm out and about and people come up to talk to me about you, usually women, not exclusively women. I'll be sitting in a restaurant or a cafe, either alone or with mum, and someone will come up and say, I just want to say that your daughter has made a total difference to my life and they will go into into the kind of detail you'd expect and you really have you have quote made a difference unquote um as opposed to made a fast buck quote unquote Mm. um how how important is that to you the fact that you know that what you're saying and doing online in your books and all the rest of it is making a material difference to people's happiness and well-being and therefore their futures 
Well, that yeah, that means everything to me. Well, I, this is what I was saying to James when I first released the four-week body blitz. I had this weird like internal conflict in my head of like, I don't want to tell people, I don't want to tell women how to look, how to get skinny, you know, how to fit into your diet. Like, I don't want to tell people how to do that. Like, and I had this huge. Um, kind of existential crisis of thinking like god i'm doing the wrong thing um and it was only when the book was actually out on sale people were buying it and they were coming back and saying things like you've changed my life like i understand food you know i i follow the body blitz very loosely or i stopped following it and i kept off the stone and a half that i lost that i suddenly like could take a deep breath and i was like no i did it right i was responsible and that is everything to hmm. me i wouldn't i'm too anxious a person and i'm too sensitive a person to to take the piss basically with people's bodies it's your body it's the only home you've got to live in mm. and I, and I don't I don't want to be irresponsible that's not to say I don't look back and think god I would change that advice but in the moment I'm constantly trying to keep it uh, to get people results that I'm promising them because I don't want them to waste their money but to to make sure that they are healthy and nutritionally balanced um mm. there are some nutritionists out there who would disagree with that statement who don't like the idea of a calorie deficit but I would firmly point them in direction of studies that show that calorie deficits for temporary periods of time are incredibly good for your internal and external health and your longevity of life. Well and a more extreme example of that and it's been well proven in, in cultures and societies for thousands of years is fasting. Exactly I mm. mean I actually want to turn it around on you and I wanted to ask you how did how did I get asked this a lot when I do press for my books how did you respond to me going into this were you shocked were you concerned were you happy how did you feel when I started to take this kind of to the next level oh I was absolutely thrilled for you because all you want as a parent is for your children to find their way and that doesn't matter it doesn't matter what that is that could be um being a forest ranger <laughs> seriously Which I would you know, love to do <laughs> you know yeah I mean that could be being um a beach lifeguard that could be being a writer that could be being uh, a, a teacher, a solicitor, um, a full-time mother. I mean, it, so long as your children find, or, or father, so long as your children find their way, and everyone has their way, mm. you know. I mean, I, actually, I believe there are multiple ways, but, um, you know, you know when you found one of them. Mm. Um, you're basically off the books. <laughs> yeah. uh, basically, as a parent, you stop worrying. And it was clear to me very quickly, I mean, I'm talking about a matter of a few weeks, two or three months, that you had absolutely found your metier. Mm. You'd found the thing that was going to give you a purpose and give you a job and give you a career. And up until then, like a lot of people of your generation and your age, I'm not saying you were floundering because you weren't and you've always been a hard worker, but you were clearly, you hadn't found whatever it was that was going to bring you happiness. Mm. You were very good. You, I mean, you were a bit dismissive about your time in television, but actually you were very good in television. You got some good gigs. You did them well. Um, and in a kind of a conceited way, I thought, oh, she's a bit of a chip off the old block, yeah. you know, and you know, like, like you do. Yeah. M most parents who enjoy their profession and their careers sort of, I suppose, secretly want their children to kind of follow in the same footsteps. Yeah. Um, that's kind of activistic and we're kind of programmed to think that. Um, so I, I wasn't bothered when that clearly wasn't giving you the satisfaction that I thought it would because I thought you were very good at it. Um, but it did make me not anxious um, but a little bit concerned about what you would do. Um, but I try not to worry about it and I do think that these days, by and large, uh, your, your generation come to whatever it is they're going to do a little bit later than, than, than we did. I agree. I mean, I, I started in journalism when I was 16. I joined the local paper and, and, and yeah. loved it. You know, it was like a, a pig in a trough. Absolutely loved <laughs> it. Um, and, and have never regretted leaving school and doing that. I think it's 
for all sorts of reasons, there's no time to go into here, it's more difficult for your generation. And it very often takes a bit more time to kind of find the way. But once I realized you had, and it was ma- all that I cared about was that it was making you happy and giving you a purpose, and increasingly giving you a purpose to kind of help other people as well. So you were, quote, making a difference. I relaxed. Um, it, if, if people ever ask you that, you can say that the, the, the moment I realized that, that you'd found your way, I was, and, and I speak for mum as well, just relieved, yeah. you know, completely relieved. What do you say? What does it look like objectively to somebody who doesn't have anything to do? I mean, I don't think your mum have ever set foot in a commercial gym, have you? No. So, what does it look like objectively to you to see somebody who's such a huge part of your day to day life mm-hmm. doing something so alien? Well, you could say, I suppose, that that's true of any uh, somewhat unusual profession uh, and modern profession. I mean, my father died when I was 21. Um, my mother lived until just a few years ago, and none of my family have been in this ridiculous job of television. It's an absurd job. I mean, actually, if you if you boil it down to what it really is, you know, it's a it's a a, a time era. It's a it's a it's a phantom job, and 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 quite often I know that, that my family, my non television family, my teacher sister, my my late teacher brother in law, etc. etc., um, have conversations about how weird what it is I, I do, but I do it, you know, it's, it's what I've chosen. And it's a bit like that with you, you know. Yeah. Yes, you're inhabiting a world that I don't really fully understand. Yeah. I recognise it for what it is. Um, and I will never, I will never be part of, um, maybe if I was 40 years younger, I might have been, but I'm, it's too, it's kind of, I'm not saying it's too late. Hey, but... one of the women in my gym started weightlifting a few years ago and she's, she was 70 a few weeks ago. Well, I, I have to say, and again, you'll know this from emails and texts I sent you this week, much to your annoyance because you've given me all this advice <laughs> 10 times already and you said enough's enough. I don't know, I'm, I'm not giving you the same advice again that you just keep forgetting, but I am definitely going to get into, 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 into lifting. Yeah, you should. 100%. It's I, I mean, I'm beneficial. 62 now. And I got out of the shower the other day and I had a look at myself in the mirror and I thought, you need to do a little bit of muscle build up there mate um, there's not there's not much between the shoulders and the elbows yeah. frankly and i'm not talking about vanity i'm talking about keeping strong and keeping fit and if you yeah. leave it too long then it's harder to get back so i think probably now in my early 60s now's the time to start i mean you bought me a barbell you know a few years ago which I is sat gathering couple, dust but you know what's so funny oh, what, sorry? i've bought you a couple of barbells but every Did you time i thought it was just the one i know i got you two one to keep in london and one to keep in cornwall but i think jack my brother ah, he's nicked you it, know, he's nicked one of them right. which okay. He okay. tends to do with all the fun Well, things. I asked you this online the other day, and you and you snapped back and said, I've told you this before. I'm not well, Okay, on the spot. <laughs> I, I'm going to buy myself one, because you've already got me two. What what weight barbel should I get? It's all relative. I would obviously always start, you know, more cautiously well, and then on, work what? your way up. I would probably start with 20 kg. 20, 20, 20 kilograms. Well, that's 10 on each side, is it? Yeah, it's like a, yeah, but it's all right. It's like a, it's like a way. I love it. You guys can't see this right now, but Dad's doing phantom shoulder okay. presses. And should I be doing those <laughs> presses or should I be doing curls or both? Both. I'll give you a little upper body circuit that I used to when I haven't had face-to-face clients for about a year now because I'm so busy with, with the books and the mm. promotion of the books and all the stuff that goes with it. But, um... I used to do this amazing barbell circuit with my clients, which is just wicked. You just pick it up off the floor. You do a whole body. So you, you would pick it up off the floor. You would immediately start by doing like bent over row. Uh, this is just for people listening at home, a good barbell circuit to do. <laughs> then you would flip it up and do front squats. Then you would uh, push it up, do a shoulder press. Then you would let it fall on your back and you would do uh, a squat. Uh, then you could move into Bulgarian split squats, put it back over your chest and do curls. And this and is really ideally good. once a day. 
Yeah, I mean, I would say weightlifting specifically, uh, four days a week minimum, six days a week maximum. Okay, and how long for each session in total? Uh, so with weightlifting, it's more about your sets and reps, but I would say... I would say you do every move either to exhaust, so until you literally until you are think done. That's enough, right? Yeah, um, and or I would give yourself a set amount of repetition. So for a twenty kg, which you know for a grown man is it's heavy, but it's not crazy. No. I would say aim to do anywhere between eight and twelve rep- repetitions. Okay, so we're looking at probably about fifteen minutes. Yeah, and then do that circuit maybe f- three to four times. So about about a quarter of an hour. Yeah. Any time of day that's better than another, after eating, before eating? Does after, it not matter? In between meals. In between meals. I always okay. say, like, especially for muscle building, you want to be really well fueled for the session so that you can perform better, tear your muscle. You will be sore, I warn you now. Um, oh, that's and then right. eat after because it's going to help you recover. Right. And build no, the I muscle. mean, I, I, like, I like really vigorous walking. We just come back from Cornwall. I've been walking the cliffs, so my legs are stiff, but that's good. I like that. I mean, that you well, know. we literally have two minutes left, so I wanted to ask you one more question. Yeah. One thing that I do think about you, I know about you, is that of everybody in my family life you are the only one I can think of and I have a lot of brothers and we have a big family you're the only one I can think of who's ever been physically fit minded like actually I should walk there actually I should cycle oh, right. there like actually I'm going to take the stairs um, and nobody else in our in our family is other than no. you and I where does that come from for you that comes from the death of my father Mm. Um, I was 21 when dad died. He was, uh, he was 49. I was on my first honeymoon. Uh, he'd been at my, my wedding three days earlier, four days earlier. And I came back from a day at the beach with my first wife, Linda, to find a note. This is long before uh, social media. Uh, to find a note pinned to our little chalet door in this place we were staying in the West Country called Richard Madeley Call Home. And I called home and my mother answered the phone and told me that dad had died at one o'clock that afternoon. And subsequently we discovered that it was because his arteries were massively furred up. And the reason they were furred up was one, because he was eating all the wrong stuff. Two, he was smoking or had been smoking for most of his life. Um, and three, he did zero exercise. Mm. And the more I discovered and learned as the years went by was, well, obviously don't smoke, um, don't get overweight. And he was he was not massively overweight, but he was he was he could have done with losing two stone, you know, um, and and keep fit. And you do those things, and you keep, and particularly the cardiovascular fitness mm. um, is just critical if you've mm. got uh, heart disease in the family. His mm. his father had a heart attack. His brother had a heart attack. Both of them smoked incredibly heavily. We're looking talking about sixty untipped today. So I've always felt that it was an environmental factor rather than genetic, mm. or if you like, a genetic predisposition to reacting to that amount of smoking and, and, and fitness. So I've always felt it's really important to keep my blood pressure good and low, my pulse rate reasonably low, uh, my body fat down, and my cardiovascular fitness at the at, at a reasonable level. And so, yeah, without going crazy, I walk rather than, you know, drive. I Yes, I take the stairs. I don't object if I'm walking up a steep hill because I know it's doing me good. But what do we say in Cornwall? Good for the heart, good, good for, the, for lungs, the lungs, good for the legs and good for the bones. Yeah. Um, and a good vigorous <laughs> so walk 80s. is really and, – and research shows that, that really that, that 20 to 25 minutes a day of vigorous walking um, is incredibly good for you. Uh, fat so that's, burning, so cardiovascular health, all of it. That's why. I don't want to – you know, I always remember the day when I was 49 and and four months passing my father's timeline to the minute. He mm. died at one minute past one in the afternoon and on the, on the exact sort of second that he had died at the age I had now reached, I remember looking at my watch and I saw the 
first hand sweeping past the five past one and thought, OK, I've outlived my dad, even if only by two seconds. I feel now, like I, I was with you when this happened. It was in, the, it in, was the in gar- France. In the garden. In, on the terrace in France, yeah. I feel like, yeah, yeah. I remember And it was a big this. moment for me, actually. Yeah, and, I remember. And now I want to double it. And but my ambition is to live to be 100. I mean, it yeah. really is. I mean, I really do want to. And I keep reading that if you have that expectation of yourself, one, it, it affects the way you treat yourself. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but two, that kind of level of positive thinking without sounding like Noel Edmonds um, can actually can actually have a measurable effect in your longevity. So, yeah, my ambition is to live to be 100. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I think that the more. I'm not a big believer in, in you know. This whole, if you say things out loud, they'll come no, true. I'm, like, no, neither am I. Don't put no. anything negative out into the universe. It's like, fuck off. No. Yeah. Like, you are you are where you are. You feel how you feel. You're okay to talk Because of what it. you do. Yeah, it's fine. Exactly. But I am a big believer in affirmative action mm. for yourself. So saying, you know what, actually, I want to make that happen. And every day saying to yourself, no, don't forget you want to make that happen. Exactly. And taking a step to and, do and it. And then doing something about it. I agree. Exactly. Just just saying it. Just, yeah. being, just being positive is, is hopeless in itself. Exactly. You have to back it up with action. It's why I have a photo of me looking looking in great shape as my screensaver when I'm in a fat loss phase because I'm like, I did it before and I can do it again and remember that's where you're going. It's less about like I'm putting something positive out there. It's more like I'm positively reminding myself Hmm. I can achieve a goal and if I do that every day, I'm much more likely to actually achieve it. I'm going to close with a question. Go. Should we have lunch? Yes, please. Okay. So that does it for the podcast. I want to thank all my guests for coming in and talking to me about all things health and fitness. And I want to thank you guys for listening. If you liked, if you left a comment, if you subscribed, honestly, I really, really appreciate it. It's all the more likely that we will be back next time if you did. Now, in the meantime, don't forget that my new book, The Fat Loss Splits, is out in stores now. It's also available online. It does exactly what it says on the tin. It is a fat loss splits with many different diet and training programs, depending on your level your start point so it is very much tailored to you other than that have an amazing 2019 i hope it's a brilliant year for all of you i didn't think of it that way of risking your life going to work but seeing my colleagues pass away in our own icu it's just heartbreaking Please stick with us for a while and just make our lives a little bit easier and then we can all be together again. Behind every case, there's a story. Protect yourself and each other. Be antiviral. Hear more at antiviralireland.com. Supported by the Government of Ireland. Sports Social Podcast Network.